From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to another edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. It is Thursday, July the 2nd. Hope that uh, you're having a great week leading up to Independence Day to the 4th of July. If you're out there traveling, hope you're being safe. If you are like me and you're heading out soon, hope you guys are safe as well. Today on the show, Austin Barber, longtime friend of the show, managing partner of the Clearwater Group. He's a partner at Strategic Partners and Media He's going to join us. We're going to talk about uh, politics, COVID, a lot of different stuff, schools reopening, that kind of thing. Talked with Austin for about 51 minutes. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. It's a conversation I think you'll really enjoy. I did. Uh, Chase and I will record a live show at some point Friday night. I think that's the plan. We're working on one other thing that could potentially complicate that, but it's hard to say exactly how that goes, so uh, we'll. That's the plan, at least for now, is that we'll do some sort of a live show on on Thursday night uh, on our YouTube channel, and we'll make that available for you as a Friday podcast on uh, Friday morning. That's the plan. It could change. It's subject to change, but for right now, that's the plan. So we'll get to Austin in a minute. First, I want to tell you that we are brought to you by the Oxford Exxon Highway Six West in Oxford. Download the Speed Pass Plus app on your phone and uh, you can do touchless Phillips there at the Oxford Exxon. You can fill up your car, then you can uh, get away, touch nothing if you'd like, or you can do what I recommend that you do and that's head into the Oxford Exxon. You can put your mask on, be safe, all that stuff, and uh, go in. They've got great beer selection, great soda selection, daiquiris, uh, ribs, plate lunches, the whole deal. Uh, ben Craddock and the people at Oxford Exxon are fantastic. They'll take great care of you the same way they've taken care of us over the years. It is right next door to the Oxford Crystal where drive through is open, delivery is open, Uber Eats, Grubhub, Waiter, DoorDash. Uh, they have the new Hangover Crystal, the bacon, egg, and cheese crystal with fresh cracked eggs that's available all day for a buck sixty-nine. The uh, new Peach Slushy is available the new banana pudding shake is available if you need a break from the heat. They've got all the great breakfast uh, specials that you're used to. The uh, new fresh cracked egg biscuits with bacon and uh, sausage. The scrambler breakfast bowls. And uh, throughout the day, they also have the pick five for five fifty five, including the new Nashville hot chick with 100% all white meat chicken breast. There at the Oxford Crystal Highway 6 West. In Oxford, I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Call that number. Ask for my friend Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's uh, right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest is absolutely up to you. You can shop that quote around, or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. You'll love the service. You'll love the product. Uh, Corey wants to be your car guy. He wants to be a truck guy. He'll prove that to you when you make the call. 662-257-1900. Austin Barber is going to join us in a moment on the um, Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Uh, Rafters and uh, Sardis Lake is the place to be 
Rafters on the Water is the place to be this weekend. Fourth of July weekend, Southern Beverage Company presents Red, White, and Boom. It's a July 4th celebration at Sardis Lake. Great food, music, and fireworks. Uh, Rafters on the Water is going to open at 11 a.m. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. They'll be serving their famous burgers, po'boys, and shrimp, along with your favorite cocktail specialties and ice-cold beer. The restaurant picnic area will be open. You can bring your picnic blanket, enjoy great food uh, from the Rafters food truck. It's a perfect place for uh, viewing the fireworks show on Saturday, July the 4th. The activities include 11 a.m. performance marine poker run with $1,000 in cash prizes, live music at Rafters on the Water all day, uh, 9 p.m. It's uh, the Ready Play. They're going to go. And then uh, the Red, White, and Boom Fireworks Extravaganza will be launched from the Spillway Dam. It's viewable from uh, the Sardis Marina Engineers Point, Beach Point, and the Lower Lake Activities area. It's the largest fireworks display in North Mississippi. And then the party is going to continue on Sunday. The restaurant opens at 11 a.m. with live music beginning at 4 p.m. So a big weekend planned for you there at Rafters on the Water in Sardis. So we'll, uh, with no further ado, we'll, we'll head to the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. And here's Austin Barber for a conversation that I think you're going to enjoy. Our friend and uh, sort of political consultant here on the site and on the podcast dating back to, gosh, Austin, when you, you first came on in 2008, maybe we talked about, we talked about a long time ago. Obama some, I know we talked a lot in the 2012, we talked a lot in 2016, and here we are in 2020, I guess that says that we all have at least some staying power. Uh, Austin Barber, kind enough to uh, to spend some time with us here on the Oxford Exxon podcast. Uh, Austin, first of all, hello. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Always good to talk uh, politics and, you know, what's going on in the world today. All right. We're going to get to a bunch of stuff. I know I want to talk to you about COVID in schools. I want to talk to you about the presidential election. I want to talk to you about what what is Donald Trump doing? I want to talk to you about Joe Biden. What is he doing? I want to talk to you about if you were advising Joe Biden, who would be his running mates? There's a lot of stuff that that we'll get to. Oh, I do want to start here, though. You're a Mississippian, and uh, you are you you come from a very prominent Mississippi family. You've been involved in Mississippi politics for a long time. You love the state. It's your home. The last uh, couple of weeks have bound to have been quite fascinating and interesting and and uh i'm sure in many ways emotional for you what just what what have the last couple of weeks been like what was sunday like and then what was the finality of uh the governor tate reeves signing uh around i guess five o'clock on we're taping this on wednesday so this was on tuesday you guys will hear this on thursday um what was just your thoughts as as all of that went down and and the flag came down for the final time as as mississippi's flag yeah, my family has been in Mississippi for a really long time, both my mama and my father's side of this. Um, and I've never, <laughs> you know, sometimes we're all hyperbolic and we say things like never and there's no way that can ever happen. And I'm trying not to be hyperbolic with this, but I don't remember a time to see politics. Uh, a political issue, uh, move and change like the flag issue did over about a 10 to 14 day period. Um, and you know, I, I, it was just fascinating to watch whether you were 
um, you never wanted it to change, whether you wanted it to go to a referendum or whether you wanted it to change to, um, you know, the, the, the Stennis flag or the God We Trust flag or whatever. You didn't even want a flag. Just sitting back and watching that process was really fascinating. You know, I, um, during the legislative session, I do a, um, a, a TV show on Mississippi Public Broadcasting with Brandon Jones. It's some of the Republican and he's the Democrat. We talk about what's going on at the Capitol. And two years ago, there was a little buzz about the state flag, as it always normally is at the beginning of the session when before bills have died. And I remember saying then, I, I, you know, I, I definitely think we need to, to change our state flag. Um, and then to see that it actually happened, uh, particularly the way that it did, was just fascinating. And I've seen a lot of reports. I've heard you guys talk about it. I've read posts on your message board about it um, from other you know, people who are interested, who live in Mississippi or who went to Old Miss or care about what goes on here. And they were, and, and many people were right. This was not just one group that made it happen. Um, yes, I, I think that Republican leadership can certainly take some credit. I'm a Republican, uh, obviously, can take some credit for making this happen. But, I mean, there were religious organizations. There were certainly um, our, our colleges and universities. Uh, there were student athletes. Um, there were, you know, many members of or maybe every member of the Democrat Party uh, who's elected official at the state capitol can take credit. I mean, there's a lot of different groups that came forth. I, I, I would have completely whiffed if I were to forgot to, to mention, you know, our business, our businesses around the state, particularly the uh, MEC, Mississippi Economic Council. There's a lot of different groups that came forward and said, you know, we really need to get this done. I completely understand, not to be long-winded, Neil, but this is an interesting issue. I completely understand why people wanted an opportunity for it to go to a referendum. Um, I was under the, I was under the sort of impression, or it was my belief, it's probably a better way to say it, that now was the right time to do it. Um, I just, I just felt like, because I've been involved in so many different campaigns, and you were such a, you know, a guy who follows campaigns and politics. Nobody, if you really, if you really sat back and looked at it in an honest way, you wouldn't want to see Mississippi go through a four, six, uh, or even longer uh, month, uh, year and a half campaign uh, over that issue. It just, man, it just, it would, it would be the worst campaign we've all experienced. Yes, it and would have been so, totally destructive. It, it, it would have been ugly and embarrassing and hurtful, and uh, the the march to November the third. Yes, the march to November the 3rd would have just been brutal to endure. Yes. Yeah. And and the national press really never wants to give us, you know, much of an advantage uh, or the benefit of the doubt, and they certainly wouldn't have um, you know, no, no, they would have, yeah. not to interrupt you. And I I don't I just, just to have the discourse. What the national media would have done. Let's be real is they would have come down and, and there would have been fertile land to find this stereotype. They would have come down and found the most stereotypical, quote, Mississippian that they could find to speak out about the heritage of the flag. And he would have said it or she would have said it in such a way 
that would have been incendiary and racist and hateful. And you absolutely, could you find those people enough to fill up a two-and-a-half-minute news block on the NBC Nightly News? Absolutely. Really without breaking much of a sweat. You, 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 would, you would have been able to tell that story, and you would have been able to paint Mississippi as this backward place. And then I think what might would have happened is there would have been this grassroots revolt against the media a little bit of, all right, you know what, you people are going to try to force us into this. And people who otherwise their hearts would have otherwise said, I'm ready for this change, would have said, I'm ready for the change, but you know what, not like this, screw it. Because that's a, there's a little certain rebellious, for lack of, it's the wrong word, but background in people when you get backed into a corner you you kind of come out fighting a little bit and and i think that's what may would have happened and then in a situation where the referendum failed it's devastating yeah that's right and for the benefit of mississippi we just didn't need to go through that process and that's going to piss some people off uh to be quite candid i'm sure it will because they, they want the opportunity to vote on that and i get it and i understand it but man it just i think for the long-term health of our state and the ability to uh, move past this and start focusing on other issues um I, this this was the right thing and the legislature did it in an overwhelming fashion you know for for a long time leading up to this and then for the days and the weeks and days leading up to this actual vote, nobody thought they could get there because it took a two-thirds vote because you had to suspend the rules in both chambers of the legislature. And then they did that with ease, and then the bill passed overwhelming, overwhelming in both bodies. Um, and and so that that is certainly to be applauded. And, look, there were a lot of different, you know, speeches that were given and press conferences that were given and who could ever forget um seeing you know uh old mrs basketball coach and football coach and mississippi states and all these other uh, athletic directors that were there at the at the, uh, at the capitol um but if you want to go back and look at one i, I just I, I wanted to note this because this guy is probably not well known to your audience but state representative jerry turner who's a who's a Republican from Lee County. I'm not sure if he's from Tupelo, but he's from somewhere up there. He uh, he gave this speech um, the day after, this was the day of the actual vote. They had suspended the rules, I think, on Saturday, and they, they voted on the actual legislative bill, uh, the legislation on Sunday. And he gave this speech, which was, look, the unity train, I called it the unity train speech, which was an opportunity to say, look, um, you know, from a very heartfelt standpoint this is our time uh it's okay if if you were if you were against this in the in you know yesterday or the day before now is the time to get on this train now is the time that we need to unify as a state and i really believe that and and, and he's got such a good way of words very folksy and if your, your people should go look for it um i think andy taggart may have tweeted it out so if you look at andy taggart's twitter feed you'll see it but for mississippi it's just a real opportunity for us to you know, leverage this you know, super powerful moment into an opportunity where we can you know, come together and accomplish real policy wins that can can make a difference to our state um, and education and economic development. There's no question to me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not being crazy when I say this, and I hope you'll agree with me. There will be companies that will give Mississippi a second chance. Now, I bet we start to see some that will do it real quickly. I would be shocked if in the next month we're not seeing announcements that are being made um, by corporations, big and small. Um, that, that are that are coming to Mississippi because they're they're proud of what we did and they want to come give our people, both black and white, um, and of all colors, uh, a chance to, to to help them grow in Mississippi. I sure hope so. 
I, you know, I, I think so. I, you would know those kinds of things better than I would probably. Uh, here's what I do know, and, and, and there's no question about this, is that companies that are looking to relocate to parts of the country where the cost of living is, is cheaper, they look a lot to the south. Not everyone can move to Austin, and Austin's getting pretty yeah. expensive. Um, Nashville. Yeah, and not everyone can go to Nashville. Uh, it's getting it's – getting, they're running out of room there. There's a reason that that corridor between Huntsville and uh, and Chattanooga is so incredibly busy. Uh, yeah. There's a reason why Birmingham has grown the way that it has. And there's a reason why Northwest Arkansas has grown the way that it has. And, and there's a reason that Mississippi has had a difficult time competing with those states. And, and when you eliminate a major obstacle, and that flag was absolutely a major obstacle, when you eliminate it and you show people around the country, like you said, people that in, in the corporate world, when you show them that, hey, this is, we are not what you think we are. And here's proof. You know, I mean, Words say one thing, actions say another. I agree with you. I think all of a sudden, you're right. I think people will say, well, you know what? We otherwise wouldn't have even looked at Mississippi, and now we will. And and we are a very diverse state. But we have shown, not just with this, but this was a big, you know, on the you know national stage moment, that we can come together and work together, black and white, Republican and Democrat, uh, you know, liberals and conservatives, you know, urban and rural. We can come together and, and you know, make a statement and work together to improve our state. And um, I think I think we're going to get some credit for that, and it's going to it's going to pay off with you know short term gains. And then it's and if we continue to use that momentum and do some things in education, uh, in infrastructure, and healthcare, and and economic development, it will help us in in the long run too. So I'm off my soapbox about that. No, it's not a soapbox. You're exactly right. And and you know not to get. I like to read books about figures in history, and I've read a lot about Washington. Chase makes fun of me about that. I've read a lot about uh, Alexander Hamilton, and, and, I've, mm-hmm. and I've started reading a lot about Ronald Reagan because, frankly, I grew up in a house where, uh, well, I grew up in a, a family where my grandmother, Mildred, who died in 2000, uh, she loved Reagan, man. You couldn't, you couldn't say if he said something bad about Reagan, it was going to get a little testy. And, uh, <laughs> and so I've read about Reagan a little bit and, 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 uh, you know, that era and, and I'm not advocating for trickle down economics or any of that stuff. I'm just simply saying there is some truth to the only way to truly rebuild and, and to, to change the economics of, of a area is to bring jobs in. Jobs generate money. Jobs generate other jobs. Those jobs generate jobs. They create schools which have to be staffed and, and, and restaurants that have to be staffed. And before you know it, you it, it, you look at North Alabama and you see it. Uh, it it's right there happening. Uh, Northwest Arkansas, the same thing. All those companies that came there because of the Walmart edict, and all of a sudden those little towns are now not little towns anymore. Rogers and Springdale, and then Decatur, Alabama, and 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 those areas. Those are not those are not small places anymore, and it's because business came there. Well, you know, um, look close to you, Oxford, Mississippi, versus some other places in Mississippi, like where I grew up in the Mississippi Delta, that's struggling so bad to bring in new jobs. So, yeah, plenty of examples right here in Mississippi. Uh, so anyway, yeah, we've we've covered that. Uh, I feel I feel like we've we've 
covered that. It was, a, it was a great week, I think, for Mississippi to to prove that they could work together in the midst of a pandemic and all of that stuff in the midst of a lot of social angst out there that is uh, is out there. Uh, whites, blacks, like you said, all races came together and, and got something done and got something done with remarkable expediency. I thought it was a, mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of a beautiful moment for the state. I thought it was kind of an emotional weekend and I'm not from here. And when the moment came down, I mean, I kind of had a lump in my throat as it was like, wow, this is, this is going, I guess Saturday when that, the Senate vote to, to uh, suspend the rules, that was the moment that it kind of hit me that I mean, this is going to happen and this is incredible. The Oxford Exxon Podcast, also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. Iron Horse Grill located at 320 East Pearl Street in Jackson. Live music four times per week. The perfect place to enjoy lunch, dinner, or Sunday brunch. It's also one of the largest beverage caterers in Mississippi. It can service the entire state. So call Sarah Black at 601-398-0151 for your catering needs. Knock that off your worry list. Let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. Dead Soxy discounts are back. And while some prices may have risen on the website, the MPW Digital Network podcast and Rebel Grove subscribers will always have access to the best Dead Soxy discounts available. So use promo code Rebel Grove at checkout. Get 30% off the best dress socks you'll ever put on. If you were on the fence about getting your kids a pair of the limited edition socks, use promo code Rebel Grove. Get a pair for you and your child. They'll love them. You will too for under five bucks. De- shutdown deals with a promo code combination are available in select styles. So go to deadsoxy.com and make your day a soxy one. Our friends from Blue Delta Jeans are excited to announce that on October the 16th, the Friday before the Florida game, Blue Delta Jeans will be hosting the second annual Delta Cup Golf Tournament. Oxford Exxon listeners may remember that last year's Delta Cup was taken home by Chase Parham and company. So this year's Delta Cup will be your opportunity to challenge the reigning victors. Tea time will be at 10 a.m. at Mossy Oak Golf Club, and your registration fee will include green and cart fees, food and drinks on the course, as well as a pair of a new pair of blue Delta jeans. Prizes will be up for grabs for hole-in-ones, closest to the pin, and longest drive. The field's going to be limited to 18 teams, so don't wait. Email Tyler, that's T-Y-L-E-R, at bluedeltajeans.com to reserve your spot, and they'll see you on the course. We have a amount of my money up uh, from taped earlier this week with Romero Miller. That is brought to you by Pinnacle Trust, Pinnacle Trust based in Madison, Mississippi. They've got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. Founded in 1997, Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. They treat investing like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you at Pinnacle Trust. Uh, They go the extra mile just for you, and all you got to do is tell them that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You'll get 10% off your first year's fees. We're also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. Thinking about getting away after four months of uh, lockdown, pandemic lockdown john knows where all the deals are he knows what's open what's kind of open what's closed he knows uh all of that because he's part of virtuoso it's a worldwide network of travel partners that allows john to supply his clients with added values unique benefits simply not available to other travelers get in touch with him give him some parameters give him a budget and he will give you options you can't find on your own 
and you don't have to live in or near Memphis to take advantage of his services, 901-494-3387 or send him an email, Edwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients can save $50 off their first book trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. We're also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. It's just off Interstate 55 in Grenada, GrenadaNissanUSA.com. And we're brought to you by Oxford University Bank. OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB offers its customers the absolute best cash checking account. It's called Casasa, and with Casasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances, up to $50,000, and refund ATM fees nationwide. To learn more about OUB, check out liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. And we're brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group, dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, their team is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. You can get in touch with them at 901-365-3447 or email ben, B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. And we're brought to you by the law firm of Bain, Moss, and Bowen, PLLC, located in historic downtown Corinth. Their firm practices a wider range of law, from DUI defense to car wrecks to representing government entities. It's the only firm in Mississippi made up of a sitting state legislator, a former assistant district attorney, and a former circuit judge. Their experience is unmatched, and you can tap into that experience by seeing them at 618 East Walden Street in Tupelo or by calling them at 662-287-1620. Yeah, and, and, it, and it was, you know, people were calm, people were rational, there was debate, but there wasn't name-calling, there wasn't yeah. finger-pointing. It was just, hey, let's talk about this and figure out what's the right, you know, on all sides, you know, on of, all sides. One of the best moments I thought, that one of the moments that I thought, this is America, this is hope for all of us that we can... We can do this the way that the world's not like Twitter, man, because I don't know about you, but I spend, <laughs> I get on Twitter and I think it's hopeless. It is yeah, hopeless. Exactly. And I'll tell you, one of the moments that for me was was hopeful, and, and a lot of people out there are going to be like, are you crazy? But just hear me out. Chris McDaniel, who's alienating, who has a, a view that I think the majority of us really disagree with, he got an opportunity to stand there on the on the floor of the the what's that the Senate room or the the Capitol whatever wherever they were doing that and then inside the Mississippi Capitol he got a chance to speak no one shouted him down no one physically assaulted him he got a chance to speak and he got a chance to try to lobby votes for against this measure he had that opportunity and then he got a chance to speak and then after he spoke there was a vote and the vote went against him. And while I know he's going to continue fighting it in that moment, he didn't like break out weapons or something. There was, there was like you said, it was done peacefully. And a lot of people yeah, are like I, that, that guy, whatever. I'm like, yeah, I get it. That guy's that guy has a view that that, that now the ma- overwhelming majority of people disagree with. But he got an opportunity to say his piece, and then we had the vote and. 
the result was, and then and then on on Sunday they voted again, and it got done. And then yesterday the governor of Mississippi signed the bill as he said that he would, and it's done. And I thought that's that's that yeah. that, that that should be hope for all of us that even if we vehemently disagree, that we can we can sort that out in a peaceful way. Yeah, and obviously you know Chris and I were on the opposite side of each other of a, of a big campaign in Mississippi um, a few years ago. But you're right. I mean, he had his opportunity because he is entitled to his opportunity as a member of the state Senate. Just he's, like, a, he's an elected it, official, it, yeah. It, just like his the 51 of his other colleagues are as well. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the, the ones who voted against it, they didn't, you know, get all upset. And the ones who were for it before they knew they had the votes didn't get all upset either. It was a, it was a great moment for um, this country to watch as we in Mississippi debated a really, really difficult issue and did it uh, with great character and great purpose um, and, and, you know, and found a way to get to the right decision. You're going to like this transition because I just thought of it right now as you did it. <laughs> I've done some broadcasting in my life. It was what it was, Austin. It was a teachable moment. And speaking of teaching, uh, we are a month away from the kids going back to school, please God. And it is a it is a tremendous topic of conversation here as we record this on July the 1st, probably about five weeks or so, maybe a little more than that before kids are scheduled to go back to schools in Mississippi, uh, in Tennessee. I know there was an announcement earlier this week that, hey, the start of school is going to get delayed. In Mississippi, there's a lot of scuttle. In, in my school district, the Oxford School District, there was a questionnaire that went out earlier this week about what do you want uh, for the first nine weeks of school? Do you want it to be all five days in person, or do you want it to be virtual uh, learning? I can't remember the exact word that was used, but it's clearly remote learning. And, uh, you know, you got the question, the questionnaire was delivered to, to each parent, and we all got a chance to respond, and, and Oxford has not made an announcement just yet, to my knowledge, and the state of Mississippi hasn't either, but there's a lot of talk that, hey, a lot of these school districts might start online only, and it scares me. It, 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 makes, me, it makes me anxious and um, worried and, and all of those things. I'm curious. You're a dad. You're uh, probably a little more rational person than I am. What are, what are, your, what are your thoughts? I don't know. We're probably on about the same level um, when it comes to kids being back at home. It was a. It was not a great experience. <laughs> you know, I have a 14 year old and 12 year old. My son, who's older, will be in the ninth grade, and my daughter will be in the seventh grade. And it was tough. It was tough on everybody who's, you know, got kids. No matter what grade that they're in, um, distance learning is is very is very tough. Um, you know, for big and you know independent schools, public schools, big schools, little schools to, to figure out some did better than others, but that is not a scenario that any of us want to see happen again. Um, man, I, I just hope and pray that um, you know our leaders make the right decisions on this, or at least make the right decisions that you and I deem are the right decisions and get these kids back in school. But, it's, it, you know, it is interesting. Uh, you saw this, I'm sure, that the American Association of Pediatrics came out a few days ago, I believe, and said, hey, they strongly advocate uh, kids get back in school. That was not the direct quote, but it was, you know, pretty much essentially what they said. Yeah, you represented uh, it accurately, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, I, 
we got to get back to some normalcy, and uh, it's 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 really a scary situation. You know, I, I, and I, I worry also. You know, there are a lot of independent schools, uh, private schools, parochial schools, independent schools is sort of how they're defined these days that are going to struggle financially if kids are not getting back in school. Uh, big ones that are located in Jackson and Hattiesburg, and small ones that are located, you know, all throughout the state in these smaller towns, and that's going to be very difficult for some of those schools to be able to survive. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I just, I, you know, I'm I'm not as big a stat geek on what's going on with COVID as as you are, but you know, I am living in the real world as as the father of two, and um, I am hoping and praying that they're back in school, and I hope they're praying. I, I'm hoping and praying that they're back playing sports too. I'm you know, love watching my kids. They play a lot of sports and have a good time with it, and um, you know, I'm convinced that. I, I believe I'm convinced that a that the chances of a kid, um, you know, contracting the virus or giving the virus to one of their their classmates, whether they're sitting in a, you know uh, in a classroom or playing football or playing softball or soccer, I, I just can't believe because you're playing sports that that percentage is going to go up because uh, as we all know, because we were in school um, at one point in time in our life, you're going to roughhouse on the playground, you know, you're going to you high five, you're going to you know give somebody a hug. You're gonna, you know, just be death to death with other people. It, it's just, I don't know. That, that's. I, I hope the sports things uh, work out. Uh, just as you know, I hope. Obviously, a number one, they go back to school. But second priority is, I, I hope these kids are, are having an opportunity to play sports uh, in a way that, that keeps them safe. And and um, you know, they'll have to figure out. Just like the SEC is going to have to figure out, what do we do about those who want to come watch and play in the state of Mississippi, Austin, for the month of June. For young people ages zero to seventeen, we're four one thousand four hundred and thirty-eight new cases of COVID nineteen. Twelve of those one thousand four hundred and thirty-eight, twelve were uh, hospitalized. Zero point eight percent of those, and of the one thousand four hundred and thirty-eight, zero. Again, zero died yeah those are those are profound numbers now listen and 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 i'm 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 one of these people that i value life um every life is precious every life lost is tragic but you also i i have a very good friend here and i'm I'm protecting him because he's he's uh in the university community and I, i don't want him to get hurt but he's incredibly smart and we talk sometimes and I will be reminded of how I'm not very smart because he's so exceptionally smart but he talked about how everything in life is about cost benefit analysis everything everything and while that seems a little cold and calloused if you think about it and you put your emotions aside it's true you make a cost benefit analysis on virtually everything that you ever do and yeah, is there risk? Of course there's risk. There's risk. There's absolutely risk. But not to be hyperbolic or, or, or dramatic, but there's risk if you leave your house and get in your car, mm-hmm. Austin, to drive across Jackson to do whatever it is that you do or to get in your car to drive to Oxford because you want to come 
uh, see your wife's family or to get in your car and drive to Birmingham because your son is in a soccer tournament or your daughter is in a soccer tournament or whatever. Fill in the blanks. A, a baseball tournament or whatever. Whatever the case may be. Are you safer if you just stay home? Yeah. But there is cost-benefit. There are, what, are, what are the benefits? What's the risk? What's the cost? All of those things exist, and, and, and that, that carries over to school as well. Well, and think of the mental, I mean, the mental toll this is taking on these kids. I mean, there are, I mean, there are kids that are not happy that they were not able to go see their friends. That takes a mental toll on these kids. Yes. It, it's not healthy. It just wasn't. I mean, okay, it's not healthy from a mental standpoint, at least. I guess the other part can be argued, um, you know, from a healthcare standpoint. And, you know, um, the same for these kids that are that are playing sports, They're taking the ability away from them to be able to do that. And look, you know, there are some tough decisions that are going to have to be made, and I'm, they're going to be, I have no doubt, they're going to be made at the highest level of elected officials uh, um, in, in our state. Um, well, I'm, you and I, go ahead. You and I both know that. I was going to say, you and I both know that if there is an announcement that is made that. Um, Okay, the SEC is going to play football, um, you know, this fall, and there are games that will happen at Vault Hemingway, and um, you know, we may only have ten percent of the, the fans or fifty percent of the fans or whatever it is. But if they're playing, they're going to be high school, you know, football coaches. They're going to be high school football players and parents who are going to want their kids to play too. And if you cancel something like that in Mississippi, and I don't have any idea whether they're going to do that or not, um, that that is a that's a big deal. And I hate to just talk about football because there are a lot of other sports that are going to be going on in, well, in and there's, uh, and there's, August, and September, and October. And there's a lot of but, things besides football. There's a lot of things that go along with football. You know, again, sure. I don't want to make it all Band, about cheerleading, all these things. I, sure. you know, I don't want to make this all about football because it's not all about football. And at the high school level, you know, football, most of the kids that are playing football, that's the end of their football career. They're, they're, right. they're never going to play football anywhere else. And football's not about becoming a good football player. Football is about being a teammate and being a part of something. And Learning life skills. Yes. Yeah. And so and then there's there's kids in high school and I don't want to I don't want to stereotype anybody. I just want to be real though. I, but I do I want to be real about this. There are kids in high school that are never going to score a touchdown. Ever. Ever. They're not good enough to score a touchdown. They're not athletic enough to score a touchdown. But you know what? Those same kids that don't have any real natural friend group they get in the high school marching band or something, or they become one of the flag girls or something. Seriously, if you ever go, I catch myself doing it now because I have kids this age, and you look at the different groups, and you'll look at like, I'll always kind of watch the high school band. I'm catching myself getting emotional talking about this, so I'm, I'm sorry. There's some kid in that group. I guess I know enough about mental health because of my own struggles yeah. with it. There's some kid in that group that that's his group, man. Yeah, that's and it he, makes his life better yeah, because he uh, gets a chance to go out and go to practice, and they practice their ass off. Yeah, There's no doubt about and, it. And on, so on Friday night, yep. they can look really good, and who knows? He or she may become the best at that that uh, spot in the band and get a chance to go to a community college or a four-year school yeah. and use that as an opportunity to get educated to better or, their life. Or find a group where you develop some confidence yeah. and you have some happiness and you have a sense of belonging. And like you said, on Friday night, instead of you sitting at home 
you get to go and get on the bus and take the yep. trip to Hernando to 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 play the trumpet or the saxophone or the drum or the tuba or the clarinet or whatever at the football game and march and and be and and, and get back on the bus afterwards and and grab that coke that they give you and a bag of chips and you go home and you were a part of it you were a part of it and maybe you're on the dance team maybe you're on the cheerleading squad maybe you're in the band maybe you're on the football team maybe you're a team manager when you start getting into taking all of that stuff away from high school kids things that can't be replaced in a zoom class in middle school you remember what it was like in middle school because i do on game day when you got to wear your football jersey at school that day and you got to go play the game that night and and all of that stuff, the seventh graders played first, then the eighth graders played, and, and your friends are in the stands cheering for you. And, and, and all of those things, when you start taking that away from kids, I worry about what it does to them mentally. I know. There's no question. And, and to take it one step further, these kids that you talked about who get these opportunities to be the backup center or the number two you know, um, trombone player in the band – that allows them to enjoy their high school experience more than if they did not get to do that. Yeah. And maybe that makes them think about high school in a little bit better way. And maybe it think, allows them when they go to college or if they say, hey, I just want to get a really good trade and be really good at what I do, to say, I kind of like this town. I enjoy my high school experience. Maybe I want to stay here. And, and, I, and I'm trying not to be dramatic with this, no. but I think I, can, I think I can make a pretty good argument for the other ones who just like, man, this sucked. I hated my high school experience. We didn't get to do anything, though. You know, I lost my last two years because of this and that, and um, I can't wait to get out of here. So, anyway, I think we're both saying the exact same thing, and just, just, um, man, just hope that we can get back to some normalcy with with uh, on those big decisions, and they'll be coming soon enough. All right, so here we go. We're gonna get into some politics now. Um, Austin is is a uh, a Republican. I think most people know that the name. Barber is is fairly synonymous with the Republican Party. Um, I'm probably here lately a little more Republican than you are. I'm so mad at at at, at society in general. Um, not really. I don't know. I'm I'm all over the place like I normally am, which is probably a good thing. Um, Donald Trump, the President of the United States, he's in uh, the fourth year of his first term, and it seems like he gets up every day and says, "What can I do today to be more divisive? What can I do today to be more incendiary?" What can I do today to sabotage my own reelection efforts? <laughs> you are a political consultant. I've never been one. How fair or unfair is that assessment? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, everything can be argued round or flat in regards to that. But when I look at this race, I think about how do you win? I mean, that's what I get paid to do when I do political races is how do you win? And and I sort of pulled some charts from 2012 and 2016 to get me, you know, have this information when we were having this this conversation. Um, and, you know, he how did he win last time? Well, because he got more electoral votes than, than Hillary Clinton. She got three million just under three million more uh, popular votes from him, but that doesn't matter. It's the electoral college, as we all know. Um, but of course, he flipped states like you know um, Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, Iowa, Wisconsin, uh, Florida, from you know what Romney was able to do or not able to do. Excuse me, four years earlier. So. How does he go win those states again? And a lot of time against you know Joe Biden, um, and it's just 
know, it's really interesting when you go back and you look, Neil, and I, I think you and I have had this conversation before, when you look and you see how poorly Hillary Clinton performed in terms of what Obama just did four years before. There was this myth, and look, I worked on Mitt Romney's presidential campaign in, in 2012, but there was this myth that Mitt Romney got more votes than Donald Trump did. He didn't. He just he didn't. People started saying that right after election day in sixteen. Well, there was ten percent of the you know the, uh, votes that hadn't been counted. You know, uh, Trump got two million more votes than Romney did, and he got you know ninety eight more electoral votes, which is more important. But you got to think about you know Trump was fortunate in a way. This is just the truth that he ran against Hillary Clinton. She was a terrible candidate. Okay, she didn't campaign hard. She didn't go to places like Michigan and Iowa, and you know he certainly energized a new, you know, new voters. There's no question that 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 President Trump did that, and there's no question that Obama voters from 2012 and 2008 switched to Trump. But as he thinks about reelection, which obviously that's what he and his team are thinking about, how does he go find a way to win those states again? How can he win Michigan, which only won by, mm, I think, 10,000 votes, 11,000 votes. I got the numbers in front of me. And Pennsylvania, which he won by 50,000 votes. Um, and, and hold on to Iowa and Wisconsin, which he won by you know um, 30,000 votes. And Florida, which, of course, is the biggest prize. Uh, uh, you know, I guess a guy who's going to uh, – is a totally different candidate than Hillary Clinton. Um, and, you know, there are just a lot of things that he's that – he's, you know, got to do, Neil, and some of what you said, the mistakes that, you know, you think that he's making, he doesn't think that they're mistakes. Um, but to me, I mean, the biggest things, you know, just, the it's, it's all about COVID, and it's all about the economy, and it's all about the issue that we just spent 20 minutes talking about, where are we going to be from a normalcy standpoint for the everyday voter? Um, who, where are they with their job, and where are they with their kids? Are their kids in school, or are their kids not in school? You know, does the husband have his job? Does the wife have her job? Or no, she's lost her job because the governor of her state or the mayor of her town, you know, passed some regulation that closed their business. And some of those things the president can control, and some of those things he can't control. But I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna get the good and bad with that whether he can control it or not yeah i do too uh there's the other thing that i find interesting and you're a, a campaign person you're a political person there was a time not so long ago when political polls you know were pretty reliable you could look at polls and say that's probably a an accurate snapshot of the landscape in the last election those polls never really came to fruition they never really showed they showed a closer race than maybe the media thought, but but they but they never really showed Donald Trump having a true path to victory that he ultimately had. Yeah. When you look at the at the polls today that show Biden with these massive leads, do you do you view them as accurate or do you view those as there's a lot of people out there that are afraid to even admit out loud that hey yeah I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. So, so I actually have all this you know real clear polling average information 
in front of me right now from 2012, from 2012 as well. But for the last week or so forth of 2016, um, Clinton, from a raw vote, popular vote percent yeah, standpoint, won by 2.1%. Doesn't matter because we're electoral college, as we both know, and she got trials in electoral college. Right. Um, she basically the so the the real clear data that I have here the last two or three days leading up to election day is pretty close. She was up about two two to three points, and she won by you know two point one percent of the popular vote. So they got it so, right. Yeah, they got it right. So they, they, I stand corrected. They, they, they got it right. If you look at the Romney Obama race, they got it. You know, they were off. They basically had a, a dead heat. As I look here from October, you know, from Halloween through Election Day, it was essentially about a half a point, and Obama won by four points. So um, now I will say, when you know, when you look at the real clear polling average right now. The last two weeks, June the 17th through June the 30th, Biden's got a nine-and-a-half-point lead. That's a significant lead, obviously. Um, I do believe, I really do believe, Trump is probably a little harder to poll because there are likely voters who are going to vote for him but don't want to tell anyone, including pollsters. Why? You know, I just think some people, they, you know, because he's, he, you know, he's got his tendency to say some pretty wild things. And I think there are, um, there are independents, there are conservative Dems, and there's certainly, um, some number of Republicans who were, you know, who will vote for him, but just don't want to tell pollsters. Um, now, do I think that's enough of those people to, to wipe away a nine and a half point, you know, lead for, for, uh, Joe Biden? I don't right now, but obviously we've got, um, you know, we've got more than three months left in this race. Um, you know, the, the, as we sort of had talked about, you know, before this call, the debates are really going to matter. Really gonna matter. Um, and I think there's no way that they're not gonna debate. I just, I cannot find, I don't, I mean, you know, hopefully COVID is, is not, you know, still going up and we've got that thing under control. Um, but I just, I think even if it's in a really bad situation, they'll, they'll put, you know, Biden and Trump in a studio with a couple moderators and there'll be 65 million people who will watch it. Um, and, you know, Trump needs to really do well in these debates. Obviously, Joe Biden has had a very difficult time at certain points of his candidacy when he gets out, uh, and does, you know, does earn media or does speeches and um he's he's struggled with that his age really shows on him um and that's you know that's why these these debate moments will be really big for for donald trump we know what the press is going to do the press is going to set a really low bar uh for joe biden and it may just be very easy for him to clear it show up um yeah to show up but <laughs> you know th those three debates are really going to be very important. I know, Doug, I imagine I'm saying that, but I think, you know, for Trump, he's he's probably going to be playing catch-up, and he may be in a situation to where, you know, who knows what's going on with the virus. We're at 13.3% uh, unemployment rates right now, where it was 3.5%, which was a 50-year low pre-COVID. Who knows where that is? Who knows where school's going to be? Who knows where sports are going to be? All these other things that matter uh, to, to voters of sort of how they're looking at their life at that time, at that snapshot uh, of time of their life. 
those debates are just going to be so freaking important. Joe Biden has, and I think this is pretty sound strategy politically, has kind of kept a really low profile for the most part and just sort of let Trump continue to bleed himself. Um, at some point, you're right, he's got to come out. But if you're advising Joe Biden right now, is this the strategy that you're, you're holding to for as long as you can? Hey, just, just wait it out, or, or are you going for the kill right now? I don't know, man. I mean, look, you know, he's looked incoherent at times. He stammered. He's he struggled to grasp topics. He's he's you know veered in the you know, mid sentences from one issue to the next, and it it was it, you know didn't make sense if you're just trying to watch it. Um, yeah, obviously he said some things to make um, you know the, the the base of voters for the Democrat Party, African Americans, upset. Um, I don't know. I think you're just trying to pick your moments with him. If you're trying to manage that campaign, uh, put him out there uh, in the right audiences, in the right settings, uh, where he can try to perform well. But it's risky. There's no question. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not being partisan when I say that. If you don't think that um, Joe Biden has made mistakes so far, well, you really haven't been paying attention. I, I admit it. You know, the president has made mistakes and things that he's done. So, I mean, certainly I can. If I'm gonna say the Republican has made mistakes, I sure can say the, you know, the Democrat has because it's it's the truth. Both of them had, and who can limit their mistakes and who can come across as as a unifier, which is that's a you know something that the president's got to work on, is finding a way to grow and expand his base. Look, his base of voters will vote for him, him being Donald Trump, no matter what's going on, no matter what he says, no matter what he does. He has those folks locked in. How can he expand out from there? Um, and I think a unifying message of trying to unify the country in a really you know, tough time that we're in, um, I think would help him some. Obviously, Biden's got a big decision to make coming up soon. He's got to pick a running mate at some point, fairly soon, I would guess. I'm a little surprised it hasn't happened yet. Um, he has said that he will go with a female. There are some names that you see all the time, Elizabeth Warren, Susan Rice, um, Kamala Harris, uh, some other names. Is there is there one or two persons out there that when you look at them you say that makes a lot of sense as a running mate? Um, I think he'll pick Kamala Harris. I mean, I, I, he he has said he's going to pick a female, and I think he'll I think he'll pick Kamala Harris. Um, I was in California last week for work, and it was interesting. Of course, I was talking to Republicans, but you know they were. Um, they said that she, um, there's not a lot of policy depth to her, so they would wonder how she would hold up, you know, on the on the campaign trail. But I think ultimately, if I had to bet, that she's the one. I, Elizabeth Warren, you know, I, she would scare me as a as a as particularly as a fiscal conservative because she's a big government liberal. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you exactly who she is, and I'm sure she would gladly wear that uh, mantle if you asked her. Um, will he pick Elizabeth Warren? I, I, I just don't, I don't believe he will. Would she have a integral role in, in in a Biden administration? I bet she would. You know, she may be a Commerce Secretary or um, a HUD Secretary or something. And, and and you know, there are others that are on his list. I mean, we don't have to get through the whole thing. Um, but look, I, I I do I do think he will um, I do think he will pick Harris if I had to bet. What if he picked Michelle Obama? Oh, it's, that's the it's, sort of a, it's over the wild, yeah. the wild wild card name is. What if he picked her? I don't think she would do it. There's a part of me that uh, wonders if that's what he's waited on. 
is to see if perhaps she would change his mind. I'll be honest, from a handicapping standpoint, if you tell me that uh, if you tell me that she is is on his ticket, she being Michelle Obama, I tell you the election's over. I, th- I think that the, I think the turnout would be so overwhelming in favor of her that I know people don't typically vote down the ticket. I I, I do think I do think she would have uh, tremendous coattails. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, she certainly would. She certainly would strengthen uh, the ticket. But um, listen, elections in America at the national level are always going to be tight. It's always. I mean, even in the race that was deemed a blowout, um, both in 2012, where you know Romney. Where Romney got blown out in the electoral uh, map. I mean, he 206 and Obama had 332. He let, he he only lost by 3.9 percent, 3.9 percent. Excuse me. In, in, in an electoral blowout, it's not really a blowout, but an electoral uh, sound defeat in 2016, where Trump, you know, got 80 more, nearly 80 more electoral votes than Hillary did. She beat him in the popular vote. So these races are going to be close. Um, it's just how it is. So Yeah, and contrary um, to popular it, belief, that has happened throughout history. The, the, the candidate with the most votes loses the Electoral College. It, it has happened before Bush-Gore. It's, it's happened throughout American history. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm listening to this really interesting podcast right now. I think you actually put me, you got me listening to it. I can't, yeah. I've just went totally blank on what it is, but it basically wicked, does a 40. Wicked a, game, wicked game of yeah. elections. Yeah, where it does a 45-minute podcast, um, history channel type thing of every presidential election. And yeah, as I've gotten to about the 1940s, it's really interesting to see how many races are just like you described. So when you see right now as we look and see, well, Joe Biden, according to the polls, has a nine-and-a-half-point uh, spread, that's, that's, that's going to tighten. And this thing will end up probably being a... Um, you know, a, a close race and when it's all said and done. But we'll see. They both got lots of things that they've got to do and, and improve on, uh, both, both Trump and Biden. We'll see who does a better job. Regardless of who wins, uh, obviously if, if Trump wins, he can't run for a third term. Uh, and if Biden wins, he's it's hard to imagine the man that we see today when we see him after four years of the wear and tear of the of the White House being in condition to run again it's difficult to imagine and you know if i'm wrong i'm wrong so in 2024 it stands to reason we're going to have a new slate of characters i'm not asking you to tell me who that slate is but i sort of have i have a twofold question here one how did we get to this place where the 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 national candidates over the last four plus years are hillary clinton Donald Trump and Joe Biden, three candidates who I'm willing to say it, I don't think are particularly good candidates. And do you anticipate how did so how did we get here? And in 2024, do you see this extreme pendulum that I feel like we're on? You might disagree, where it feels like it's if you're not far to the right or far to the left, there's no place for you. Do you see the pendulum swinging with more momentum further to the left, further to the right, or do you think it slows and we begin to get back into a kind of a middle ground area? I, I know I'm being really long-winded here, but I talk to people about history because I'm fascinated with it and about politics because that fascinates me as well. And I think if you were to go back today and take Governor Bill Clinton 
and Governor George W. Bush, two men that were president of the United States for a collective total of 16 years, I don't think either of them would have much of a chance to win his respective party today. Oh, no, I totally agree. I, I, I think, you know, politics is like a lot of things. It sort of, you know, goes in waves. And you and as you said, the, the pendulum swings from, you know, the extremes of both the right and the left are sometimes more closer back to the middle, which is what we had, um, obviously, with with Reagan and Bush 41 and Clinton and Bush 43. Um, and then, look, it's so funny. I heard somebody say this the other day. Some people, conservatives, certainly look at Barack Obama and go, he's one of the most liberal uh, presidents we've ever had. And, th- and this person was making the case, if Joe Biden wins, he'll be way more to the left on the policies that he wants to work on uh, than, than, Barack, than even Barack Obama was. Um, so I don't know. You've got to think that it swings back, and it may be after this election. Um, but, you know, polit- yeah, his politics is, is freaking very difficult to predict. Um, so I don't really have a great answer. But I, as you said, this, this thing goes in waves, it goes in cycles, and it'll come back. It'll come back. I just kind of keep waiting for the American fatigue to kick in, where we say, "Don't, don't we want to kind of try to find something resembling a middle ground?" Because it just feels to me today that, you know, you have the people that that are far to the right, and you have the people that are far to the left, and it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of people in the middle of the field. It's like everybody's on these two respective sidelines, if you will. And maybe I'm wrong. It's just that's what the landscape feels like. Yeah. Well, it's again, it's a, it's an unpredictable um, contest and business. So uh, I'm not sure why the hell I'm in it. <laughs> uh, last thing, are you are you excited about watching the NBA if if it comes back? Are you excited about watching baseball in front of empty stadiums? Or or what's what's kind of your thought on sports now that you've like the rest of us? I know you're a sports fan. You've gone four plus months or so without sports. What's what's your thought on its yeah. return? I, like you, am an NBA League Pass guy. I love the NBA. I love watching it. It will be really interesting. Um, I I just really want to watch it for the love of the game and the love of these freak athletes that are out there, you know, that are just six foot ten and can do crazy things with a basketball. I hope to see that. Um, um, But we'll see. You know, I haven't been a big baseball fan probably since, oh, I was in college, grew up, and it was my number one sport, and I just, just, you know, it's just too long, and I don't really care about it. So the 60-game thing sort of fascinates me a little bit to see if I can, you know, grew up a huge Chicago Cubs fan, but can watch the Cubs to a certain point or the Astros or the Braves or somebody close by. Um, I, I think the 60-game thing really may interest people like me who have not paid attention to that sport in 10 or 20 years because it just seems too long and too draw, you know, just way too drawn out. But, um, but yeah, I certainly am definitely going to try to watch as much basketball as I can, and, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Austin, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. It's a fun visit, and uh, I hope that uh, hope that we're right about schools and that we see each other at some soccer field somewhere in the fall and, and um, cross paths with some degree of normalcy. Same here, Neil. Thanks for the conversation. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Our thanks to Austin Barber again for his time today on the Oxford Exxon podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Again, uh, we'll – 
post on the board, social media, if plans change. But for now, the plan is to tape a hand raise, guys, on Thursday night at some point, probably after 7 o'clock. That's Central Time. That's the plan. And uh, we'll post that as the Friday podcast to wrap up your week. I'm talking to Dr. Michael Cunningham at some point Thursday night as well. Don't know whether we'll make that a, a special Oxford Exxon podcast, whether we'll make that a beer garden. We'll let that let you know. I know a lot of people want to hear from him. We'll get that to you as well before I head off uh, for a week or so to uh, relax and get away. So thanks again to Austin. Thanks to you all for listening. Thank you for your uh, patronage during this really weird time in um, – our network's history, I guess, and in the site's history and in all of our history. So until next time, take care. Talk to you soon.